Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's episode is Made Right by Faith, Not by Keeping the Law. And this message is more directed toward new believers and those who may be misunderstanding how faith in Jesus Christ applies. You know, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to address this topic because when it comes to new believers or those who have been in the world for a very long time, there is often misunderstanding when it comes to having an understanding of how faith, redemption, and salvation come into play. One of the tactics Satan tries to use is to get people to throw in the towel by the way of self-condemnation and trying to keep God's law. And there's a lot of hypocritical Christians running around out there lying to themselves saying they never sin, and that's not true. And then treating everybody else with contempt. Every one of us sins in some way or another, and if we say that we don't, we're calling God a liar. Naturally, anyone who doesn't understand that their sins are forgiven and covered by the blood once they call on and accept Jesus as their Savior are going to be continuously finding themselves frustrated when they mess up. And that's easy to do when you're first coming to Jesus. And I can speak to that, and I know so because I once did so. It's very common when someone has had years of backsliding that the first thing they feel they need to do is find a church where they belong where they can get fed the spiritual bread and learn how to establish their walk with the Lord. You know, the problem is, some pastors, when you pull them aside to confess a sin, will simply dismiss it with a slap on the hand and some cliche statement such as, well, you just need to stop it. You just shouldn't sin. And that person is then sent on their way without really receiving any help. That person already knows they're a sinner. So how does that really help address the problem? So then that person who wants to come back to the Lord is then already self-defeated. And I'm just going to tell you straight up that if you're ever dismissed in that way by the leader of a church, go somewhere else. Find another church. You know, shake the dust from your boots. Find somewhere else to go that's going to help you. And for those of you who don't have a good church nearby, find an online ministry. Find two or three good online ministries. I would suggest even doing the same if they refuse to not even acknowledge the times we live. Because if they're not teaching about sin and what got us here, and if they're not talking about repentance out of fear that they won't be able to line their own pockets, and they only slap you on the wrist and tell you to stop, that's what I would refer to as superficial treatment for a person's mortal wounds. And the Bible's pretty clear also, by the way, about what happens to those who do that. And you'll know it if it's time to go, because you won't be getting anything useful out of it. And if they preach the doctrine of live your best life now and not living for Jesus, run. Ladies and gentlemen, church is not supposed to be about concerts and entertainment. We go to honor the Lord, fellowship with other believers, learn God's word, pray in unison and agreement, and worship our Lord Jesus Christ together. You know, in times past, it even used to be about addressing community issues, but that seems, in many places, to have been forgotten or fallen by the wayside. And, you know, not to get off topic here, but just as a side note, I'll give you an example. This is, and forgive me, this might be a little bit, um, it might sound condescending, but it's not. It's a call to action. I have a friend who runs a food pantry, and their food drive, the pantry is in need of toilet paper this month. 
Then he said one person dropped off one pack, one small pack of toilet paper, like four rolls. And I said, are you kidding me? Where's the pastor? Why can't the pastor put a word out? And the pastor, most of the time, simply just doesn't want to get involved. He treats it like it's its own division, which that's not entirely true. It's part of the church. And the Lord is watching over that, and he sees that. But it's not just the pastor. There's people who go to that church and don't even realize they don't have discernment that there's need in that area. And, you know, there's flyers up. You know, they're all in the hallway outside the main auditorium. You're going to tell me that out of a big congregation, nobody sees that? Nobody thinks to mention it? That's That almost demonstrates a disconnect. If we're that self-absorbed, we really need to start paying better attention. And this is what I mean by when people go to church and listen to the word, but have no intention of doing what it says. They're hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And that's a problem. You know, when it comes to the toilet paper, do, does everybody else not have to wipe their rear end? You know, that might sound gross, but let's, let's put it into perspective here. Put yourself in someone else's shoes who needs help. And how do you know that people who are coming to that pantry may not decide to come to the church for the service? Well, I don't care if they come to the church. That's exactly what's part of the problem. That attitude right there is part of the very thing I'm talking about. You know, just the same as the pastor that smacks them on the wrist and says, well, you just shouldn't sin, but doesn't give them any advice. How's that going to help them if they don't even see people coming together? They're going to look at that like, well, there's no community here. Why would I want to be part of that church? That's how I'd see it. I'd be looking at it like nobody cares. I'd be like, well, what's the use? Why would I return back here? Ladies and gentlemen, do you see how that's damaging to both sides? And do you see by that how the enemy just won in that circumstance? How you let him convince you not to care or that someone else will do it. That is a spirit of apathy. That is a spirit of pride. And you know, on that point alone, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The whole concept of that verse alone is to be alert of your surroundings. Look at what's going on around you so that the devil cannot win, so that Satan is put down, so that you continue to walk in the Lord's ways as a Christian. You know, I've talked about doing right so many times, and I'm going to continue to beat it like a drum because it is one of the biggest problems. Can you imagine the Lord? He looks down on his people and he says, I have blessed them with so much and they do so little. They don't even pay attention. You know, I've talked about works by faith many times. I'm not going to go into that, but, you know, the church should be about building one another up and learning to live in the ways of the Lord and abiding in him. And it should be about correcting anything that may be wrong. How can people ever change their ways? How can people ever do right if nobody ever says anything? And it's just this mentality of, well, 
we won't talk about that because that's unpleasant and we're going to drive people away. How's that going to help people when they have to stand before Jesus? You know, there's a lot wrong with the church in the context of sin with apathy and pride that is permeating it, and many don't even see it. You know, if you have trouble discerning what's wrong, study the Lord's word. Study the apostles. Paul taught a lot on proper ways of living as Christians. I mention this because it needs to be mentioned, and it came up in spirit as I was starting to talk today. Don't get me wrong with what I'm saying here. This is just one example, but it can apply across the board. It's not directed at my listeners because obviously you guys don't know about this. It's not that I'm calling you to help in this situation. I'm using this as an example to show you what kind of stuff goes on. You know, we need to be praying into the Lord's will, asking him, okay, help me, Lord, to be more observant. Help me to see the needs of others. Help me to see others as you see them. Help me to practice mercy. Help me to put your words into practice. You know, the word specifically says we're supposed to look out for the interests of others, not just our own interests. And when we don't, you know, it makes us look bad as Christians. It's just as bad as turning someone away and just simply saying, well, you need to stop sinning. Okay, but that doesn't really help me. Well, you just need to stop sinning. You know, going back to 1 Peter 5.8, that is not staying vigilant to the enemy's tactics. That's quite the contrary. How can we lead people to Jesus and give them hope if we can't put simple decrees into action taught by the apostles that Jesus sent before us? Did Jesus not love the sinner? Did he not call the sinner? Does he not forgive all of us? I mean, if you stop and think about it, it makes us look like hypocrites, and we need to be considering our ways. Ladies and gentlemen, we are being tested right now. We are going through our own trials and tests. Why? Because the Lord is refining us in these areas where he sees a problem. He wants to correct that. You know, in this case, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be planting seeds. I've talked about planting seeds before. When I spoke of the oil running low, I talked about the mustard seed, the faith of a mustard seed. Part of that is putting the faith into works. And in this particular situation I have laid out today, you know, Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Verse 28 says, If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, Come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. You know, if you were in need, you would want that help. And as someone who was once in the wilderness, I can tell you, sometimes you're hanging on by a thread. Plant good seeds now. And don't wait. Because soon, it may be you who needs the mercy of someone else. Folks, all of this, that's something you need to think about. And I'm going to continue to address that situation until I start seeing change in the body. I want to see positive change. I am calling people to action. Get off your duff and do something. You know, I've already done many teachings on doing right and works by faith, but suffice to say, had we stuck by the roots of what the word says, we wouldn't have many of the problems we face today. 
that's a whole another story in and of itself. You know, if you want to get into the divided church, Revelation chapters, I believe it's three through five, talk about that. But I lay that out because that's part of the whole do as I say and not what I do mentality. If we say we're believers, if we believe in what the Lord did, why aren't we leading by example? And that includes when it comes to helping people out who are weak in their faith, which the word, by the way, says we're supposed to do. So, you know, not to get off topic, today's teaching is going to be based on three books, Romans, Galatians, and Colossians. And where it comes to the law, we're going to start with Colossians chapter two, because I find that to be important to address first and foremost, the slap on the wrist mentality, which is not helpful to somebody who needs hope and wants to return to the Lord. So. Starting in Colossians 2, verse 11, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. So you see, Jesus already took away your sins once you accepted him. He's already covering them under the blood that he shed on that cross for you. Going on in verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. And here's key. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. How does God nourish it? Well, your responsibility as a new believer, you need to be spending time in the word, learning of the Lord's ways. And as you fill yourself, with his presence, you are going to be less likely to sin. That's the key. Not somebody telling you, well, you just shouldn't sin. Or giving you a slap on the wrist like, stop it, stop it, don't sin. Going on in verse 20, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe body discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And so that's the key right there. When someone says, you just shouldn't sin, well, are they getting into decreeing the word and how you're set free from sin? by new life in Christ, when you've died with him, so that you've been set free from the spiritual powers of this world. So anybody saying, well, you should just do this, or you should just do that, and, and well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, it's like, that's nice, but that doesn't help. 
No, it's about establishing a foundation in Jesus, in the Lord's word, growing your faith, learning of him. And as you learn of him, it will help you spiritually to put those things down. You fill yourself with his presence. He lives within you. Then we get into living the new life, and that's in Colossians 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. You know, if you're constantly sitting there thinking about everything you're trying to put down, how are you ever going to put it down? Focus on the Lord. Going on in verse 3, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, this is key. Verse 7, Colossians 3, verse 7. You used to do these things when your life was part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Did you hear that? That's what I just got done saying. Fill yourself with God's word. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Now, going on to verse 12, and this is key because this is why I started this podcast with, you know, Christians needing to pay attention and learning how to be merciful toward one another. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's exactly what I just said at the beginning. Above all, this is verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Not slapping them on the hand, sending them on their way. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And, you know, that is key right there. That is the beginning. That is the foundations building Colossians. And even Colossians 1, that gets into the secret of knowing Christ. And you know, that wasn't even a part of the study I was doing today, but let's go ahead and reference um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must, this is key, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So that established, now we get into the law versus faith. And let's start on Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You know, you just shouldn't sin. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. Going on in verse 8, what's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ shared the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. And so on that point right there, before I continue on, if you meet someone and they're saying, well, you just need to walk, you need to walk around on eggshells and, you know, don't do this, don't do that. You know, that's not going to help. You know, that's what I'm getting at. Because it's about filling yourself with the Lord's word, the Lord's presence. You cannot do it on your own. And that's what's irritating when, say, you know, a pastor will send somebody away when they have a sin to confess and they want to know how to truly get to know the Lord. Why is it so hard to tell them in 20 minutes what I've said here today? You know, people often come to the Lord when they're backslidden or they're new believers. And because they're told you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, they think that they have to be perfect in every single thing they do. And if you're doing that, 
And if you're the one telling somebody that, you better be perfect. You literally better be perfect in everything you do because you're then trying to take away the glory of Jesus Christ who came to die for us sinners because we couldn't keep the law. That's why God had to send his only son. Going on in verse 11, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And that is eternal life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. It's because nobody could follow it. Nobody could abide in it. Nobody could keep it. That's why legalism is so dangerous, because look what it does. You know, it gets people to give up. But moving on. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we, who are believers, might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Why then? This is going on in verse... And so if we fast forward to Galatians 3.19, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. That's Jesus. God gave his law through the angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there conflict, then, between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But see, that's the thing. We can't. We're, humans are sinful by nature. But going on in verse 22, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. You're saved by your faith, not by trying to keep the law. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Once again, you're saved by faith, not by keeping the law. The law only shows us how sinful we are. And on that note, let's go on to Romans chapter 7, starting on verse 4. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. You know, that's because you died to your sins. He's establishing himself in you and living within you. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. That's exactly what I was saying at the beginning. We need to live by example. If we're true believers, we need to be living by example. Going on in verse 5. When we were controlled by our old nature... Sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Do you remember how I just said a little bit ago that if you're focused on what you're trying to put down, it becomes almost impossible? Only by focusing on the Lord can you then put to death those evil deeds and sins. 
That's what I was meaning by that. Going on in verse 6, still Romans 7. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And then we go on to verse 7. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. You know, essentially, the law is to show people how sinful they are and why we need a Savior. You know, if you really want to put that into perspective. Then going on in verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law. For it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And that's what you have to realize when someone's doing something bad, it's not so much the person that's bad as it is the sin living in them. It's the spirit that's on them. But going on in verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now do you see why God sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice to our sins? Because we could not keep the law. The law only shows us that we are sinful by nature, and we were not able to keep it. You know, in the Old Testament, you read about sacrifices, and nobody can keep that. So, you know, we move on to Romans 8, and this is key. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. 
he sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. And by the way, I can attest to that. When you're filled with the presence of the Lord, when you're filled with his word, you're not sitting around thinking about how to entertain your sinful desires. doesn't mean you're not going to slip up and sin occasionally in different ways, but that's not the first thing that's on your mind. You're looking to do what pleases Jesus. You're looking to do what pleases God. You know, you know the word and you know what's right and wrong. And you know what the Lord approves of and what he doesn't. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. That's what I was saying earlier. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. Because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Now, this is the key when you're getting to know the Lord and his word. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So, once you're filling yourself with his presence, the more you're doing that, the more you're putting the word into practice, the more you're allowing the Lord to teach you, you begin to establish him. You begin to establish that foundation in the Lord. You know, you are inviting him to live in your heart and he changes you. And then you're going to be able to put down those sins more and more and more. Ones that are considered abominations and not uh, pleasing to the Lord. You are going to live for the Lord's will because you, it's like a training. It's a, it's a spiritual training, if you will. That's the best way to describe it. And, and we go on to verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given hope when we were saved. 
If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So that's what you have to understand between the law and faith in Jesus. You can't keep the law. And that's why God sent Jesus. That is why Jesus was sent to shed his blood to cover those sins. So it's not about, again, just not trying to do something because you're, going to, you're bound to fail if that's what you're trying to do it with. It's about spiritual training, and you're doing that through learning God's word and establishing his presence within you. That's what you want to work on doing. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my prayer that this podcast has been a blessing to you today. I'm going to try to have the uh, Judgment Part 3 out for you soon, so stay tuned for that. I'm not sure after this podcast if I'll have another one next week because um, I've done the last few within a few days of each other, but um, I may or may not. I just go by where the Lord leads me and what he wants me to speak on. You know, continue to learn of the Lord and continue to put faith into action. You know, not the worst thing you could do. And until next time, Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. And y'all stay safe out there, okay?